Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And welcome to Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen. And I am one of your other hosts. Well, the only other host, I am Ash Versus. It's really weird to do one of these things where we don't actually have a gimmick to run off of. I know, yeah, we haven't got anything like written down or anything like that. I don't even know. Did I say the Games Master Academy? Did I say Games Master Team Champion? I can't remember why, because I didn't read it off a script. You know what? This is the professionalism that people keep coming back to this podcast for. (laughs) Now, this is a bit of a different episode. We've released unedited interviews before, back when we spoke with Paul Gannon in series one. But normally it's like a little bit after or it's done as a separate thing. With the case of Paul Gannon, it's because it was the end of the series. But this episode is the full length interview with Paul Rose, a.k.a. Mr. Biffo. We spoke to him for the Christmas episode of Games Master Series 3, which he featured on in the Review Zone. And we're very, very thankful for the time that he gave us. We arranged to talk in the middle of the day, and I genuinely thought we might get 25 to 30 minutes. Same here. We were talking with him for well over an hour, and by the time that we'd edited it, it was almost an hour in actual finished interview. I think you suggested not to put it in the main episode because it would get lost. The episode would be huge, and... There's so much ground covered, the two would detract from one another. Yeah, no, no, I was listening back to it, and the episode would have been like two and a half hours. I think maybe like two hours, 40 minutes, which is a, it's a chunky old episode. Like, it's quite an intimidating time limit to look at. And I was just listening to the interview, and I was like, friggin' hell, this is, it's a really, really good, because like, Paul Rose is great. And like, Biffo, it was an amazing, amazing interview. And I was like, I, I want to release this as a, as a full thing. So I just said to Ash, I was like, I'll trim out the bit where he talks about Games Master. You know, we'll put this into the episode because it, it ties in quite nicely going from the review section into this interview. But yeah, we should release this as its own episode because I think it was deserving of that. And I was absolutely happy with that because there were some people that may be listening to this that don't listen to Under Consultation, and that's fine. There may be some people listening to this just because they're a fan of Digitizer, of Biffo, of the work that he does. That's also absolutely fine. 
it makes it easier for you to find it. This is, I think, first interview for under consultation I've taken the lead on. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It's the first interview I've actually done in quite a while. And even though I still kind of winced and did some careful editing to cover up a few cock ups, I was actually really proud of how the interview came out. And I'm very, very happy that you've chosen to listen to it. Yeah, here is our basically hour long chat with Paul Rose, aka Mr. Biff. We are joined today by a man who is the co-creator of the legendary Teletext pages known as Digitizer. He's the creator of the website Digitizer 2000, Mr. Biffo's found footage, Digitizer the show, Digitizer the YouTube channel, co-creator of Almost Never, writer of the Four O'Clock Club, My Parents Are Aliens, Pudsey the movie, and the man that managed to get Dirty Den to say a four-letter word on EastEnders. We're joined by Paul Rose, aka Mr. Biffo. Thank you for joining us today. It is my pleasure. Thank you for uh, mentioning my two most shameful moments, Pudsy the Dog movie <laughs> and getting Dirty Den to swear. Is that really, I mean, I'm talking about the Dirty Den bit here, but is that really a shameful moment or is that just the ultimate getting one over on the pre-watershed? It's one of those things that as I've got older, I'm a little bit embarrassed about. <laughs> you know, I've done a lot of things, trust me, in my time that, that, People kind of hold up as, yay, you know, he's a bit of a hero. He did the, he did, and, but they're always the sort of really puerile things. So uh, the Dirty Den might, no, I mean, yeah, there's part of it that kind of goes, yay, you know, stick it to the man. But I, I put it in the script thinking they're going to take it out. It's going to, this is never going to last. And then Leslie Grantham pronounced the word constables perfectly as, as art intended. Uh, and at no point did anyone there pick it up. But hey ho. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's an actor that is amazingly in tune with a writer reading it and knowing exactly what you meant. Yes, which is a miracle, given that he had the acting range of a plank. But <laughs> <laughs> it's fine, you can say that. He's dead now. I'll be honest, I think you could have said it when he was alive and no one would have necessarily objected <laughs> no. or, or disagreed. <laughs> so if we're going to go kind of back to the beginning, pre-Games Master, what... Was your gaming history, your kind of first computer, first console exposure, and how did it lead up to working for Teletext and then the creation of Digitizer? Well, the first console we had, I think, was a Binatone. I don't think technically was mine. It was kind of like the family Binatone. And then at some point, I mean, bear in mind, I'm very old, and this is really going back. So at some point, we did get an Atari 2600. I don't know if we got it secondhand, but we had one in the house because I can remember renting games as you did it back in the day from video rental shops. So I can remember going and renting Pitfall and The Empire Strikes Back and other games for it. But the one that really started my kind of love of games was, was my Spectrum. And I got that for Christmas, was it 82? Something like that, Christmas 82. And my dad had set it up already the night before and to play a sort of Merry Christmas message to me on the TV as I, as I came down that morning. And that was it, really. There was no going back. So from there, um, it was the Atari ST. I wasn't an Amiga boy. I had an ST, uh, then Master System, then Mega Drive, and then all of them, really. How I ended up with on Digitizer or, or co-creating Digitizer was, was I was working for Channel 4 Teletext as a graphic designer. That's what I'd been up to that point. And they were asking 
members of staff, because this is in the days before the, the service had launched, because we took over from Oracle. And in the run-up to the service launching, they asked members of staff for ideas for sections. And being a bit of a gamer, I said, well, why don't you do a full-blown video games magazine? And they sort of called my bluff and they said, well, okay, but you can write it alongside this other guy, Tim Moore, alongside all your graphic design role, which, you know, it wasn't difficult to fit it in, given that, you know, well, Teletext graphics aren't exactly time-consuming to produce, shall we say. <laughs> you know, what's it, six colours and, you know, you're about 300 pixels on a screen, something like that. So so I was able to fit it in and gradually I just, I came to love the writing and writing about games every day more than I did doing the graphics. So so that's the, that's the in a nutshell, version of it all. Now, you started as the graphic designer, and I think one thing that really stands out about Digitizer, in addition to the writing style and the characters that you created, is it was actually incredibly graphical despite the limitations of teletext. You really kind of pushed what could be achieved and what could be put on the screen and playing with all the various things like reveal and all, I guess, the foundations of what teletext could do to make it interactive. Uh, was there any graphical moments that you were particularly proud of or achievements or kind of where you found to game the technical system? Well, day one, we had graphics of Mario and, and Sonic on there. It was the benefit of having me working on the section. You know, no other, no other magazine section on Teletext had the graphic designer working for them. So people would have to come and ask me to produce something specifically. And games are just such a, such a graphical sort of medium that, it made sense for me to to add graphics onto the pages, even though there'd be a, a relatively poor representation of, of the actual graphics in a game or a game cover. I don't know. I mean, the, the the irony is, as time went on, I kind of found it funnier to make the pictures sort of worse and worse. <laughs> <laughs> so the characters would sort of end up looking like they'd been drawn by a four-year-old instead of someone who'd had, like, by that point, six, seven years' experience, you know, doing teletext graphics. Um, and I don't know. And that amused me. So the, the worst-looking a, a character was, uh, the the more amused i was so you know i'd often take like we had a character called bw who hosted the digitizer quizzes and i'd basically taken the the graphic that i'd done of bamba boozler from the bamboozle quiz and i just sort of every time he appeared i'd just deliberately m mess his face up by just deleting his facial features and putting kind of random pixels all over his face and i don't know people probably at home probably thought oh the page is corrupted as it often did if you had bad signal but i don't know i just found that funny <laughs> it wasn't until a lot later that you know i actually realized via interviews and reading more information that you actually also did bamboozle because again that was one of my channel four teletext destinations get up in the morning go and check out Digitizer, check out Bamboozle, see what's going on. So you were just all over Channel 4 basically doing graphics for anything they asked you to? Yeah, well, I mean, Bamboozle, I didn't, I didn't run it. The guy who did actually sat right next to Digitizer writing the quizzes. But yeah, I mean, if there were any graphics that ever appeared on the editorial section, 95% of them were done by me. We had another guy, Steve Horsley, who I'd been to school with, who I, I, I helped get a job there. Uh, he worked for the the marketing department so adverts were kind of done by him i shared my role as i became sort of more involved writing with digitizer i shared my um, role with a girl called sarah who took on some of the 
day-to-day graphics stuff. But yeah, certainly in the early days, I mean, everything that that was on there was was designed by me. I mean, the there's a kind of iconic image from the first day of saying "Welcome to Teletext" with a hand holding a remote control bursting out of the screen. That that was mine. Um, all the kind of weather graphics, the little icons that appeared on news pages, I, I did all those in the in the run up to the service launching. You mentioned editorial, and that actually ties into a point I was going to bring up later, but I'll bring it forward now. Over Digitizer's history, I think you kind of ran at odds with the editorial staff of Teletext at various points, particularly regarding some of the jokes and content. And I was wondering how soon after launch did those issues start to appear? Was it was it a boundary you were pushing immediately or did it come up as you kind of gained more freedom and, and comfort with the product? Well, it sort of just happened organically because Tim Moore, who I wrote, wrote Digi with in the first sort of four years of it, we just found that we had a kind of compatible sense of humour and we were just terrible at egging each other on. So we would write, stuff or put things on the pages that deliberately for the other person for when they then saw it to you know to laugh at and and so you know kind of inevitably those attempts to sort of shock the other person (laughs) just grew from there but a a lot of it in the early days was that the first time we got into trouble was uh i was off i was sorry i was off work and i think there'd been a news story that had appeared in the sun saying Teletext wrapped over sick video game joke. And Tim had written an article or review about Street Fighter and mentioned epilepsy in there and all the scares about, you know, video games either corrupting the nation's youth or, you know, inducing epilepsy in them. And um the Sun ran a story on it. And of course then this was a Saturday, the the Deputy editor rang me up and we had to go through the pages one by one. And she was just checking kind of every line. Is that, is that a joke? Is that a rude joke? Is that offensive? Is that offensive? And I remember there was one thing she asked about, which was, it was some stupid fake article thing we'd done about, it was like, if you, there was a fault with the Mega Drive that if you turned it on, the ghost of Noel Edmonds came out of it or something <laughs> like that. Really stupid. And she was like, what does that mean? What, what do you, is this true? Is this true? And it was like, no, it's just, it's just stupid. And it was a lot of it was them being kind of hyper aware of digitizer and, and kind of putting us under a microscope. So we sort of saw that as a challenge. I mean, it was terrible behavior, really, you know, both both of us had mortgages and families, but we would then try to sneak stuff under the radar. And that was often the most sort of rude stuff, which, which we'd get away with because they would, they would not pick up on it. Whereas then they'd, they'd read, kind of innuendos into stuff that that wasn't meant to as an innuendo at all. I remember I got taken a task over the use of the phrase because we used to have at the bottom of our pages, you know, kind of, uh, you know, go to this page, page 100 or whatever. And one day I'd written, finger the index, page 100. <laughs> uh, and the the deputy head rang me up and said, I'm taking that off. I said, "What? why? <laughs> and then he had to try and explain why finger the index might be seen as rude. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> there you go. Then there was another one, which we made some reference to the three R's, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic. And that got taken off because they said R's sounds a bit like arse. It's just <laughs> like, what? And you've missed the fact that we've kind of just put a, you know, half screen phallus 
on the previous week. <laughs> up over that. So anyway, it was it was bonkers. Because we've actually uh, recently just done that period of time with the epilepsy thing, and like it actually was like a really like big thing because like a you know games master ran a feature not as much feature but basically just like a, if you're looking for more information go to this but like bad influence also did like a full thing of being like this is why this is uh, this story is wrong and you you mentioned about like the the innuendo thing dominic diamond era of games master is kind of known for its innuendo stuff and we've had times where we've been watching an episode and i've been like oh and then he does an innuendo here and ash has gone is that are you sure it was and vice versa and like I, I think there were times where if something has become quite known for it then almost like the microscope goes underneath it being like what is this intended to be an innuendo <laughs> yeah yeah i think yeah you can become uh too attuned to it perhaps. <laughs> yeah. and then we ended up in season three that basically dexter fletcher the george lazenby of games master yes. one and done <laughs> and the innuendo dropped right off the bottom and i think we definitely found that suddenly we were doing more innuendo to kind of right. fill in the gap that was left by Dominic Diamond at that point. Yeah. Yeah, it had a very different tone, didn't it? <laughs> to say the least. I think the most shocking thing that Dexter Fletcher has said is when he makes the Donald Duck joke. Griffith's a dog, Mickey's a mouse, but you can't be a good Donald Duck. Oh, God, that's awful. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, that's, that's the most he's gone. That's the furthest he's gone in oh. terms of his innuendo game. It's not so much a dad joke, it's more of a, the slightly edgy uncle joke. I mean, it still made me laugh just because it was that bad. Yeah, it's trying a bit too hard, isn't it? I, I think for a lot of people that does sum up season three, trying a bit too hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. And I, I speak for myself there as well. <laughs> Speaking of Games Master, when it started in 1992, how, how quickly were you aware of it and what were your initial thoughts when the original church-bound Dominic Diamond era started? Uh, yeah, I watched it, it, it every week from the, from the very beginning. Um, I was a huge fan of it. I enjoyed, my favourite aspect was the, the features that you'd get kind of in the middle of the episode. I was less interested in little kids such as Paul Gannon playing games. Yeah, you did a bit. I liked seeing new games in the way that, you know, now you're going to watch a Let's Play. I enjoyed that aspect of it. but um, And I enjoyed Dominic Diamond and his innuendos, obviously. Uh, and the general aesthetic of it, I thought, was brilliant. So, yeah, so I didn't, I, I immediately, it was like, my God, video games on the TV. And, you know, with all due respect, to my very good friend Violet Berlin, uh, Games Master felt it was more in tune with me than the bad influence was at the time. So uh, yeah, I loved it. We uh, we covered. I think it was that it was the first episode of Bad Influence we did, wasn't it, Luke? That's right. Yeah, when we reached it in the timeline, we thought we were well. Let's look at the first episode of Bad Influence. Almost do like a comparison to it to, to Games Master. And again, I absolutely love Violet Berlin, and I remember loving both series because I I guess you know I was a teenager, so both appealed to me. But I find now as an adult, Games Master is a much easier watch. Bad Influence is exhausting. Yeah, it's a kids' show, isn't it? And it's got that kind of hyperactive thing going on, and that's that's the difference ultimately. Uh, it's it's aiming at different audiences. Well, I think Games Master it was teenagers and up, um, and Bad Influence well it was on CITV. So, but in terms of I think the quality of information and the features you got on Bad Influence, it was brilliant. Mm. You, you know, you 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 got some you know information and and stories on there that that often I wouldn't have even seen in magazines. So 
uh, I appreciated it for that. But yeah, obviously the the the, the very tone of it was was completely different and not not aimed at the likes of me, a man in his early twenties as I was then. Yeah, it's funny when we were watching the first episode. Like the the, the big thing that they've got is like, and we've got a big preview coming up later of Streets of Rage Two, which is going to be the hottest game this Christmas. And that preview comes in the final third of the show, and it is three seconds long. They oh, literally wow. just go like, and here is some footage of Streets of Rage Two. They show three seconds, like, and now moving on to the next thing. Like it yeah. was just, it's rapid fire stuff. Yeah, well, literally with the 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 data blast at the end, which <laughs> <laughs> but I liked it for those kind of ideas that they they had. You know, that was really novel data blast in the, the era of the VHS. Yeah. So my main takeaway from like that first episode, and I will probably go and watch a few more episodes and maybe we'll revisit it as time goes cool. on, is I just wish it had a bit more time to breathe. Yeah. Yeah. Let the features run slightly longer. Less of them, but but slightly longer. We didn't reach out to Violet, and I'm not entirely sure why we didn't, but we did message Andy Crane asking him if he had any message, uh, memories of it, and his response was no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Andy Crane, um, when we were doing Digitize of the Show, we tried to get a bit of a bad influence reunion going, and I don't think Andy will have anything to do with it anymore. But Violet, I'm sure, would talk to you. She's, she's so lovely. You know, she's one of my favourite people in the world. Because she was also a big supporter of um, Digitizer as well. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, she, it was a really weird how we came to meet because she was a fan of Digi and orchestrated in a really convoluted way a meeting with us at a European computer trade show. In, in, and I mean this in the nicest possible way. Following that meeting, we couldn't get rid of her. <laughs> but we did, Tim and I, uh, you know, and Violet, we were a gang. We did everything together during those Digi days. You know, any event, uh, you know, overseas trips, all of it we did with Violet. I don't, I don't know if I've ever even talked about that really, how much of a gang we were. Um, it was sort of the, the three of us and Violet's then boyfriend, Henry. And yeah, we were, we were as thick as thieves, a lot of us. So to skip forward a little bit, we're kind of approaching the tail end of 1993. And this is around the time that you make your debut in the review zone on games master how did you suddenly find yourself on screen doing reviews for games master oh god uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I'll be honest i don't entirely know they might have approached us um i'm pretty sure we didn't go to them and said we should be on there i don't think either of us tim or i were, were ever that forward we did a, at some point maybe it came afterwards we did have a, a tie up with games master where we would have a kind of proto chat room on digitizer where people could send us messages and we'd put them up on screen people could do uh mixed text where you could see the picture behind the teletext so just the words would come up and we did at times have well we used to chip in as well and dominic diamond as well would, would ring up and you know give us messages to put up on screen we did that. So we had we were were speaking to Hewland uh, and we had been speaking to them about this sort of thing because we were on Channel Four, they were on Channel Four. So um, I think they were aware that we could be useful to them, you know. And we did a points part uh, appeals for contestants for both Games Master and Games World. So at some point, the the whole thing of well, you know, maybe you guys should appear on Games Master came up. The weird thing is that. Digitizer, we were always on the kind of fringes of the games industry. We didn't mix with other games journalists. 
we had this completely unexpected friendship with Violet, but that was sort of about it as far as our, our, our interaction with the sort of wider games industry went. I'd once seen Julian Brignall uh, in a shop in Tottenham Court Road, and that was years before I even did digitise him. It was like, oh, it's Jazz Rignall from CMBG. I'd never met, we, we never really met any of them. Um, we would occasionally kind of hear from some games journals saying, oh, I really like what you're doing, but but it was, yeah, we were, we were sort of out on our own. So, and I know when this conversation started that we suggested perhaps Tim and I could do it together on screen together. And they, they ruled that out. And Tim said, well, I don't want to do it by myself because you know more about games than me and I'll just show myself up. So, so it, it, I was the sort of then the designated representative of, of Digitizer and it ended up being me for better or worse that, that had to go on. And I still shudder at the thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, one of the questions I was going to ask was kind of like we spoke to some people um, who did interview, I did the reviews and the consultation zones in series two, and their kind of like memory of that was like, oh, we went to this. Uh, it was a recording studio. It was actually the same recording studio where like Bowie and the Beatles had, had done stuff, and they just went into this little booth, recorded their stuff, and, and left. And there were just sort of consoles laying around. But series three, I, I believe, was a little bit different. So I mean, like for the starters, we you know where was it recorded? It was in Soho, um, in this little side street in Soho. It wasn't a very big, I don't know if it was like a photographic studio, it might have been. Um, but anyway, it was a tiny little facility. You know, there was just camera set up, uh, you know, black backdrop, the journos to sit on, and then, yeah, off to one side, a bunch of consoles with the games that we were meant to be reviewing, which was the point at which I, uh, my my entire stomach fell out of my guts because i've been given this list of games to prepare reviews for um and thankfully they were all games that i'd either played or was able to get review copies of before filming my my slot so i i played them i prepared i mean i was absolutely shitting myself there's no, you know, i mean now it's like you stick camera in front of me and i'll do anything back then i've never appeared on camera or or anything. and I it was awful the morning of it. I mean, I, I was you know I was trying to remember all these facts and phrases that I wanted to say about these games that I've I've been told to, that I was going to be reviewing. I can't remember what they were now. And I did. I don't know. It was awful. I I I, I blow dried my hair. I've never blow dried my hair in my life. <laughs> right now, I just I just don't do anything in my hair. And my hair adopted this weird quiffy flick thing. Anyway. That's by the by. Uh, but that was the sort of state I was in. It was like, oh, my God, yeah, I'm going to be so exposed. Anyway, so I got there and they said, um, oh, do you want to, if you just want to go and have a quick go at the game, just refresh yourself. Um, we were just doing, yeah, I think it was like Steve Merritt was there. Julian Rickman might have been there. I mean, no one spoke to me. That <laughs> was the guy from Digitizer, which they all hated, yeah, particularly the EMAP people. So I didn't speak to anyone. No, yeah, I was very obviously getting the cold shoulder. From people. I mean, Steve Merritt, by the way, now I get on with really well. We chat on Twitter. But yeah, at the time, we had a bit of a huge thing going on with EMAP. Um, anyway, so I went over to look at the games to refresh my memory of the games I'd been told to review. And there were none of the games I'd been told to review. I And I had not played any, any of these games that I was then expected to talk about. 
for a minute or more. I've not played a single one of them. And it was like Toe Jam and Earl 2. I can't remember the rest now, I think. Uh, Turtles Tournament Fighters. There you go. I knew it was, there was a Turtles one in there. I hadn't played any of them. I didn't know a thing about these bloody games. And I had approximately 10 minutes to quickly have a quick go on each of them. And because I was so sort of over, you know, I was young and overwhelmed by the whole thing, I didn't stop to kind of say to anyone, I've not played any of these games. <laughs> you told me a whole load of different games. So then I sat in front of the camera, already kind of bricking it and overwhelmed and all the rest of it. Then having to think on my feet, things to say about a bunch of games that I'd perhaps had at most a minute with each. <laughs> it was awful. It was awful. <laughs> Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We heard a similar story. So we had um, uh, Dan Tootle, uh, who's a friend of the oh, podcast. Yeah. And yeah, he, you yeah. know, he was a, a small kid when he actually did the, the reviews in Series 2. But we were talking to him, and like in the games that he came into play, one of them was Megalomania. And like they were like, cool, you get you get 10 minutes to play Megalomania, oh now God. give a review of it. And I'm like, well, that's not a game you can like, or that, well, I can't remember what the other one was now, but it was like, that's not a game that you can sit there for 10 minutes and get a full idea of of like if megalomania is any good within a, a 10 minute time span yeah yeah you know that you need at least a day to to even understand the basics of the controls on, on <laughs> megalomania. um yeah so it was it was uh i was absolutely rabbit caught in the headlights um and uh yeah to say that i don't look back on that fondly is uh would be an understatement <laughs> <laughs>
for people that don't closely follow our Twitter interactions, I think actually it was off the back end of you posting on Twitter about how much you disliked your experience on Games Master that I kind of just chipped up from the under-consultation Twitter account going, is this a bad time to ask for an interview about your time on Games Master? <laughs> yeah, well, it's the, because I, I, I just look weird in the footage anyway, and I'm always, over the years, that clips of it have just sort of followed me around, and people go, oh, look, look at you, you look weird when you were 21. Um, and uh, it's, And I just remember how awful I felt on the day, just how... I don't know, just just out of my depth, completely out of my depth. The only bit of it I kind of like is in, I think in the Christmas episode, they showed a, a few seconds of outtakes and you get me going, I don't know what to say. <laughs> uh, that's like about the most human moment in it. It was the rest of it. I'm kind of full, kind of days from Star Trek meets Mark Zuckerberg, just staring at the camera in fear. They did ask me back to audition for a regular on there. <laughs> the oh, audition like panel, a, a commentator or for reviews? No, they asked me back to audition. There were a bunch of us. It was um oh god, what's his name? He because he ended up he got the job. Tim, um, no, I'm thinking Tim Norris. I can find out. But anyway, but it was a bunch of us audition. That I was way more relaxed and it went quite well. I mean, it didn't go well enough that I got the got the job. But um, but yeah, they did at least ask me back. So because <laughs> they felt bad, <laughs> it was a pity, pity audition. I'm going to put you over uh, in terms of this and the you know the, the the comments that you make. And I'm not just doing this because you're on the show, and I'm not going to here to blow smoke. Um, because we've actually recorded our thoughts on the two episodes that you were on on the, the Christmas episode and the one after. So I've already I've already said my thoughts on this. But like, I think you're one of the, the more fair reviews. My issues I've always had with Games Master reviews, at least at this point anyway, is that there are some people that come on and be like, oh, it's just another platform again. Oh, it's just another beat-em-up. Oh, it's just another that. But like when you uh, talk about Turtles Tournament Fighters, you're like, yeah, it is another beat-em-up game, but do you know what? It's not half bad. And if you like beat-em-up games, you'll probably like this one as well, which I think is a much fairer way of looking at it as opposed to just, oh, it's another Street Fighter clone, therefore it's bad. But I couldn't. I didn't dare slag a game off. <laughs> I hadn't played them. <laughs> I didn't dare give any of them like too bad a review, because because yeah, what if they turned out to be good? You know, and it, <laughs> it was not a fair way of reviewing games anyway. And I mean, all I all I was focused on really was being coherent. I couldn't think to <laughs> to you know, be creative at all in kind of my reviewing. I just had to kind of hope that what I said sounded a bit like I might be familiar with the game. <laughs> I mean, I, I bought it. I, it sounded like you knew the game back to front to me. Well, I'm, I'm good at bullshitting, clearly. So. <laughs> well, I am. I know that for a fact. <laughs> but that's one of my few few notable skills. Me and Ash really liked your, uh, the, the Christmas episode anyway because you basically picked as your favourite game of the year, Zombies Ate My Neighbours, and that's a game that I absolutely love. Ah, good. Yes, yeah, I did. I mean, I played that not so long ago, actually. It's still great. <laughs> it is it's, great. It's a cracker, yeah. That actually was a question I was going to ask is, was Zombies your actual pick or did you turn up and they went say this is your favorite game i wouldn't be surprised if that was the case i suspect what happened and this is ringing a vague bell that i hadn't been told to pick my favorite game until i got there on the day and was probably already sat in front of the camera and they said 
oh, now tell us your game of the year, and I probably plucked that out of the air. I can't can't tell you what else was released that year, but I did. I loved it. I loved Zombies Ate My Neighbors. Um, but I'm, I'm yeah, I'm quite surprised that I would have chosen that as my game of 1993. The other games that were picked were exactly what you'd expect for 93. Uh, Street Fighter on either the Mega Drive or the SNES, FIFA, Sensible Soccer, Syndicate. Mm-hmm. And then right at the end, after a journalist, I think it was after he'd picked Sensible Soccer, was it Andy Nuttall, Luke? Uh, yeah, remember? it's Andy Nuttall, I think, that picked it, yeah. Yeah. Suddenly goes, oh, and Claymates and Clay Fighter, because <laughs> going by what happened earlier in the series, money had exchanged hands between oh. Interplay and Hewland. And it was a very obvious, we're recommending these games, even though we've kind of shown that Clay Fighter isn't actually that good. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. Yeah, well, you know, that was the games industry of the 90s. I don't know what it's like now, but yeah, there was, there was a fair bit of that going on that we got wind of. Yeah, we felt it more in Series 3 uh, than we have in Series 1 and 2, where, like, if, you know, they're showing off this new game, they're like, this is the brand new game, it's flying off the shelves. There's, like, one of them, I can't remember which game it was now, but Dexter Fletcher was out there, the episode keeps going. It's got the best graphics you've ever seen in your life. Like, that was the, oh, the line God. that he kept pulling over, like, for these games. So it really has felt, a lot of Series 3 has felt more like, yeah, this feels like paid promotion as opposed yeah. to this is just a challenge. It was World Champion Tennis or some tennis game, but it was for the yeah. CDI. The that was, it was the CDI. Oh, that was the one, yeah. It's got the best graphics you've ever seen in your life. Oh, my God. Yeah, you see, the trouble was Dexter Fletcher, the sense I always got, was he wasn't a gamer, it was... He was, he's an actor and director, as now we know. You know, he just, oh, well, I mean, you probably heard all sorts of stories about that. Yeah, the story that we've been told essentially was that it was having Bob Mills on Games World was they, they kind of like, they, Jane Healands would realize that, oh, we don't actually need to have a games expert because we just need a team of people behind them that know about the games and they can just write the scripts for them. We just need someone who's enthusiastic. And yeah, and that, apparently that's why like Dexter was picked. He's different. He's, yeah. he's, he's very much a traditional light entertainment host as opposed to yes. Dominic that's kind of deconstructing the, yeah. the role of being a light entertainment slash game show host. I mean, you know, I sound like I'm kind of, you know, worshipping at the feet of Dominic Diamond. I sometimes found the humour a bit what would now be called ed- edgelordy and a bit mm. me- mean-spirited. And that wasn't there with Dexter Fletcher, so I know what you mean. Yeah. I'm 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 intrigued to get to that portion because I think like once he comes back for series four and five and six, I think that's when the the style of the show very much changes. Like a friend of mine says that the show stops being Games Master and becomes Dominic and his mates, and yeah. and and so I'm very curious to get to those episodes and kind of looking back on those with retrospect. Yeah, that was always the sense I got, and and that was kind of the sense that I got on the on the grapevine as well that it became very much. Dominic and his mates club. Skipping forward, obviously, Digitizer continues, Games Master continues. And in 1996, uh, there was a big shift on Games Master and there was a big shift with Digitizer, both of which involved Dave, the games animal, Perry. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Basically, my understanding of it is uh, Tim Moore got fired because Dave Perry threw a hissy fit. Is that accurate? That's that's it. Yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> spot on. Yeah. Well, long story short, they wanted to split Tim and I up because they felt we were a bad influence on each other, pun not intended. They wanted me to focus on graphics. They wanted Tim to start working from home and blah, blah, blah. And I was off on paternity leave. Um, my daughter had just been born and 
that week, Tim had run a story on our gossip pages, Gossy the dog, um, who ran the gossip pages, that we'd had this tip off that Dave Perry had, had been hauled over the coals about readership figures of, of his magazines. Because I think he might have been publisher at the time or group editor or something. Anyway, so Tim ran this story and then Dave Perry rang up the editor rather than Tim or I and complained, threatening to sue, uh, blah, blah, blah. Now, what you normally do in those instances is you stand by your sources and you stand by your employees. You don't then immediately go, oh, my God, we're so sorry, and then fire the person who wrote it because that opens you up to libel. Um, mm. You know, you're, you're showing, uh, you're, you know, you're showing that there might be basis, you know, in what the, you know, the person's saying that this isn't true. You're sort of standing with them. You don't do that. That's like sort of, you know, that's a journalistic no-no. But they were so desperate to get rid of Tim and therefore take away what they viewed as this person that was corrupting me, which couldn't have been further from the truth. It was, you know, it went both ways, believe me. Um, <laughs> they just, they fired him there and then. And, uh, well, not there and then. What happened was I, I came in the next morning and a mutual friend who was sort of slightly higher up than us tipped me off that. Um, saying that I think this is bad. And then Tim was summoned into the editor's office, came back, tipped a cup of coffee all over his um, old computer, uh, grabbed his bag and was escorted out of the building. And later on, Tim tried, sadly unsuccessfully, to sue Teletext for wrongful dismissal because he'd spoken to Dave Perry and Dave had said, oh, look, no, your story was completely true. Yeah, that did happen. Dave was willing to go on the record saying this. But unfortunately, Tim, famous tightwad, didn't want to pay a um, solicitor to, to represent him. Uh, got someone who did it as a favour, and on top of that, ultimately, he wasn't an employee. He was he was employed on a freelance contract. Whereas I was actually an employee of Teletext. Tim was freelance technically. So uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. That was uh, that was all Dave. Thanks, Dave. But, you know, on the plus side, Tim went on to become travel writer of the year for at least a couple of years and, you know, it was a successful book writing career. And Dave Perry, a few months later, got humiliated on national television over Mario 64. So I guess karma does come around at some point. <laughs> well, quite. Yes, quite. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I... Uh... Not a journalist, I'm a marketing manager. I don't know. This, I don't know when it was, but yeah, I mean, I remember speaking to Dave when he was working as a PR guy at some point, and that was my first encounter with him. Uh, I mean, we both follow each other on sort of social media, but when we cross, cross paths when, you know, when the world isn't in lockdown, there are kind of retro fairs. We're kind of like, it feels a bit like, you know, those uh, kind of 80s festivals they have where you kind of go look at Howard Jones to Powell play. Feels like we're on the sort of nostalgia circuit for sort of 90s games journalism now. So we'll, we'll often be at the same events giving uh, giving talks and things. So there's no, certainly no hard feelings from me. I didn't get fired. <laughs> uh. <laughs> After uh, Tim departed, you were running Digitizer solo until its end. Yeah, 2003. So, yeah, 2003, I think. How did you find going solo? And before you eventually decided to just kind of end it, were there many times when you almost did? Was it, was it something that you still enjoyed doing? Or were there more and more times where it just felt like you were butting heads with the establishment? 
Well, when Tim went, we we agreed that we were both going to try and, which we'd already started before he'd left, we were going to try and sort of get a TV scriptwriting career off the ground, writing together. So after he left, I then started doing Digi full-time. I mean, this is the irony of them trying to separate us so that I could do graphics more uh, in, in a more full-time way because Teletext were launching their website and they wanted me for that. But they still needed someone to write Digi because Digitizer was you know, still bringing in money from advertising. It, was, it did well for them. And there was no one else in the building at the time that could do it. So I did it. And then I said to them, I said, well, can I do do it freelance from home? And I was expecting them to tell me no, and they accepted. So, so when I started doing it from home, I still enjoyed doing it. I still enjoyed playing the games. I still enjoyed writing about it. But it became a means to an end to pay the bills and allow me to kind of try and get this writing career off the ground elsewhere. Um, so it was like my safety net, really. That was sort of thrown into kind of overdrive. I can't remember when it was, 2001, 2002. Yeah, it was 2001, the year um, 9-11 happened. Uh, they called me in and they had new new editorial higher-ups, shall we say, who obviously wanted to stamp their authority on teletext. And, of course, whenever anyone new came into the the company, they were always told, watch out for digitizer, they're tr- or he's a troublemaker. <laughs> so I was hauled in, and it was, it, it was, they announced that because of 9 11, um, which had hit Teletext's advertising revenue because travel was down, that um, Digi, Digi was going to three days a week. And then uh, also because of 9 11, uh, I had to remove all the humor from it, which doesn't really. <laughs> add up but never mind so so for the best part of a year i mean i had to carry on i didn't have any other source of regular income i had little bits of tv work starting to come in um but i I sort of had to carry on doing it so i went very much through the motions for the rest of that year but what i didn't realize what was happening was people were writing in saying we miss the digitized as it used to be and they didn't stop writing in it just the letters just kept coming and coming and coming and so about a year later, they called me back in. I thought, oh, okay, this is it. And I was amazed. They said, uh, we want it to go back to five days a week or six days a week. We want all the humor back. Um, I mean, it was absolutely delicious because the, 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 they told me it was going back to six days a week. They're all being all nice to me, you know, very, very different to the previous time. And the unpleasant git that had given all the bad news before, as I was leaving the building, he said to me, and it was, it was like a sort of five-year-old trying to apologise. Um, you know, sorry. it was like he went, uh, yeah, no, can you bring, uh, bring all the characters back and uh, bring the humour back, please? And I said, sorry? Can you bring all this, this humour back and everything as well, please? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it was like I could have punched the air. Uh, I was very gracious about it. I said, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, I can do that. So, but I think but that was at the point at which I kind of thought, ah, I, I'm done with these sort of close calls. So my... My time on this is limited now. Um, and so I carried on for, you know, another year and a bit. And then yeah, that was it. I was done. You mentioned about the letter, almost a letter writing campaign from people asking to bring back the humour. I think I get this right, is that apparently at times there was 1.5 million people a week reading Digitizer. Does that yeah. sound about right? 
Yeah, uh, I, yeah, but I think it was one point. I don't, I don't know. It was a lot. It was well over a million. Um, and once we've gone down to three days a week and had the humour taken out, that just plummeted. Uh, and so they realised it had been a terrible mistake. But yeah, it was, uh, you know, we were read by a hell of a lot of people. It was, you know, we were free, we were daily, we were on people's TVs, it was convenient. We really didn't have any competition. You know, CFAX had a had a, t- a game section, but it wasn't like Digi was. It wasn't sort of to the same, I don't know, breadth, I suppose. It didn't have the humour as well, but I mean, that annoyed people as much as it did entertain them. But, but you know, we weren't really competing with magazines, to be honest. You know, we were pre-internet, and so there weren't any other alternatives to sort of, you know, in terms of a daily service. We, we were it. So that's why it, it did so well. I mean, I don't delude myself that it was purely because we were great. It was because there wasn't an alternative. When did you first really become aware that it kind of had this bigger fan base? Like, I know that obviously you used to get letters from Amiga owners who were <laughs> yeah. usually quite, quite upset with you and, <laughs> and, and a few other things. But, uh, but at what point did you suddenly realise, oh, wow, there is a larger audience out there. We're actually pulling in numbers. Well, pretty much the first week we were on air because we, we weren't going to cover the Amiga initially and we were absolutely inundated with complaints from Amiga owners. Uh, so that was clear that we had quite a reach. And then we got the first figures, but they were, we used to get a lot of posts and a lot of competition entries, but the, the viewing figures were still quite abstract. You don't really get a sense of it, you know, when someone's going, oh, it's 1.5 million. It's like, oh, right, okay, that's nice. Uh, it's still, you know, how do you wrap your head around that? So it wasn't, I think, really until that letter writing campaign happened that we really became aware that we weren't just some cult thing, that people, seemed to genuinely love us and and then when i left i i foolishly posted on the edge forum i said oh i'm leaving i'm having some leaving drinks at this pub in london if anyone wants to come yeah as a kind of throwaway joke thing and then just ridiculous numbers of people (laughs) (laughs) this pub was packed to the rafters so yeah it was kind of then when i left i think i realized wow digi was a thing that 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 was loved by a lot of people. And I guess that brings us kind of neatly up to Digitizer today because it's come back in a, I mean, a couple of different forms that are running. Um, yes. <laughs> Digitizer 2000, the website, uh, Digitizer, the TV show, the YouTube channel, and Digitizer Live. How did you kind of suddenly go, okay, I'm, I'm bringing this back in this form and how did it kind of grow from there? Because... It, it's still, like, from my perspective as a creator, it blows my mind the sheer amount of stuff that you are producing at this point in time. I, <laughs> I, I can't even fathom it myself. I struggle with a podcast. Well, I, I found, uh, yeah, I hit my uh, limits with the website. I had to, um, I, I had to kind of put that on pause because, you know, I've got a day job, obviously, as well. And the website was just becoming too much on top of, doing a youtube channel and my day job so uh but it it came back because i just i just missed writing stuff that wasn't scripts so it started out as the website digitized 2000 writing about games and then there was a teletext block party at the uh, center for computing history 
uh, in Cambridge. And I knew Dan Farmond, who was putting that on, which, you know, celebrating the art of teletext. And I don't know, I think, I can't remember quite how it came about, but that that half of it would be some sort of digitizer event, Digifest. And so we kind of put on this sort of show with some fun and games, all sort of game-related, some panels with me, Violet, Tim Moore. Uh, and off the back of that, I'd I'd also made some videos of some old because we used to run these fake ads on Digitizer, so I made some sort of video versions of them and shown them as as sort of the warm up for the the Digifest event, and people loved them and started asking me for more, and that led to a series on YouTube on the Digitizer channel called Mister Biffo's Found Footage, which had very little to do with games. We had a a spoof version of the Games Master Consultation Zone on there. I don't know if you've ever seen it, where um, we, we did actually have have Dave Perry on there uh, asking our version of the Games Master some advice about his goujons. And um, and then off the back of that, I kind of went, well, that, that went down well, and I crowdfunded it, the series. And off the back of that, I kind of thought, well, I need to do another project. And I thought, well, it makes sense to make it Digitizer, the show, make a TV version of Digitizer. So this time about video games. So that went down well. And then I didn't stop making videos after that. We, you know, we got a bunch of YouTubers involved with that. And then I carried on making videos kind of on the channel on a sort of, you know, much more sort of reduced budget or zero budget, really, whereas Digitizer, the show actually had a tiny budget for a TV show, but had a, a sort of decent chunk of money that we raised on, on Kickstarter. But Gradually, I have to confess that, you know, after nearly 30 years of writing and talking about games, the game side of it has sort of slipped away entirely at the moment. I mean, I'm not saying never say never, but but what has sort of um, stayed is the digitizer tone and the characters and the, the humor, really. And so that's what the, the YouTube channel kind of is focused on at the moment. We still talk about old stuff, but it's not necessarily games. Although we have got an episode about Atari coming up soon. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so there you go. So it's, yeah, so I'm mainly at the moment just doing the YouTube channel. The website's still there. I probably will update it at some point and put some new stuff on there. But, um, but the YouTube channel is, is my main focus these days. It's just, it's just, a, it's, it's a hobby. It's just some, somewhere that I can just do fun, creative stuff. And I get annoyed some people that I call it digitizer when it isn't about video games, but, uh, you know, <laughs> well, tough. I own the trademark now. I trademarked digitizer as a brand a couple of years ago when we were doing digitizer the show. So digitizer can be whatever the hell I want it to be. <laughs> <laughs> Quite rightly so. I do remember you posting on like social media, like in response to like some of the people, or it might have been actually comments on YouTube or somewhere about people complaining about the lack of gaming content. And that was the first time I actually went, Oh, yeah, because just for me, and I think a number of people that kind of grew up with Digitizer, the gaming content was a reason that brought us there, but it isn't necessarily what kept us. Yeah. Well, funny enough, I was talking about this the other, the other day with my wife, not necessarily in relation to, to the Digi of old, but, but the Digi now. It's, it's kind of like when you have got to give your dog medicine, you kind of hide it in his food. Um, you know, now I kind of, you go, oh, it's a video about the history of Rubik's Cube. But actually, that's just the delivery method for the stupid stuff. Which actually does parallel with the later seasons of Games Master, where realistically the video games were also ancillary to Dominic and his friends 
having there you go that's it yeah Yeah. i'm just being (laughs) (laughs) self-indulgent the difference is it's not a bunch of kind of lads going larry blokes it's me and my wife at the moment i can't get together with anyone else so (laughs) uh speaking of you and your good lady wife uh you also have a podcast yourself yes yes which is very very niche even more niche than a games master podcast um yeah this was just something to do in lockdown last year it was you know my favorite band for my sins is marillion i realized there wasn't a podcast out there talking about marillion's music so we just started doing one and she as a an aussie she had never even heard of them so we're going through the, the albums album by album with me as someone who sort of died in the wall fan and her as someone who had no preconceptions and so doesn't know all the the jokes and the you know, oh, 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 you know, prog rock, and uh, it's a you're singing about fairies and all the rest of it. She has, she has none of that baggage, um, so it's not quite, it's quite refreshing, <laughs> shall we say? I mean, I, I, you know, a lot of people actually listen to it who don't have any interest in Marillion whatsoever, just because they like our, our, our banter and bickering, our near constant bickering. <laughs> <laughs> I think we get a bit similar via Luke's day job. And so there were American wrestling fans that listened to Under Consultation, which is weird because they're young and they're not British and therefore Games Master to them is literally a foreign language. I bet. Wow. Yeah. We actually see the reviews on iTunes that are going, I've no idea what Games Master is. I've never watched it, but I enjoy this podcast. And I'm like, (laughs) thanks, I guess. I take that as a compliment. (laughs) Well, the weirdest thing like that in terms of digitizer was... um... I don't know if you're familiar with Asperger's or Us. They're a comedy uh, group from America. I mean, they all have autism and they kind of, but they, they massively regret ever calling themselves Asperger's or Us because the, none of their humor is about autism or Asperger's. But there's a documentary uh, featuring them on Netflix and my wife and I watched it and kind of thought, actually, yeah, the, the little bits we'd seen of their, their comedy actually looked really good. And then one day I got a, an email from them out of the blue asking me if I, they were doing a European tour and asking me if I wanted to support them on tour. I was like, what? What the <laughs> hell? What, what the hell is going on? And as it turned out, they were fans of Digitizer, even though they're all American. <laughs> the stupid jokes that we used to have on Digitizer on uh, a fan page that, that's still going called Super Page 58, run by a lovely mm. guy called Chris Bell. And they'd become fans of Digitizer through that and used to kind of print out the jokes and read them to each other when they were at at college and stuff. So it's, um, yeah, it's weird. Um, You know, (laughs) they they didn't even have teletext over there. It was was purely, you know, reading it on the internet. Paul, thank you so much for your time today. Amazing, yeah. Taking us through... Yeah, I mean, your history with Digitizer, your time on Games Master. And it, it, honestly, you were on the list of people when we first started this podcast that I just wanted to interview. And at the time, I hadn't remembered you were on Games Master. So I think right at the start of this podcast, I was going, I need to think of a convoluted way to justify <laughs> this interview. <laughs> yeah, well, there we go. So convoluted that uh, it was, yeah, I was on it. Um, <laughs> yes, I still have the PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, can you just let our listeners know where they can find you online, Twitter, YouTube, etc.? Uh, yeah, I'm at Mr. Biffo, or one word, M-R-B-I-F-F-O on Twitter. Um, where else am I? Digitizer, D-I-G-I-T-S-E-R, not, not Z-E-R, as people often spell it. Uh, and I th- as I think Games Master spelled it with a Z, it's an S. 
Um, so it's just digitizer on YouTube. That's that's the best place to find me. And if you want to support me on Patreon, I'm on Patreon as Mr. Bibber to get lots of exclusive behind the scenes stuff on there. Awesome. Thank you ever so much. It's been a pleasure. Amazing. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed doing uh, that interview one of the things i found when i was editing and listening back to that i thought of another dozen things i could have asked that i should have asked i know there were things on my notes that i didn't ask because we just kind of flowed past them in the timeline and gone in slightly different paths but also i realized wow we could have probably gone for another hour easily easily we we could have really gone into some deep stuff and who knows maybe down the line we'll talk with paul again for some other reason door will always be open to a man that is that entertaining to talk to I, I think one of the only things that really ended up on the cutting room floor was the three of us geeking out for about 20 minutes over micro machines it stopped being an interview and just became a chat between three people about how great micro machines is on the mega drive and the only reason it got cut out is because there was a bit of a discussion in there that may lead to something down the line and I didn't want to either commit us to it, commit anyone else to it, or potentially give away spoilers. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But needless to say, the outcome was all three of us really love Micro Machines on <laughs> yeah. the Mega Drive. <laughs> if you are a first-time listener to Under Consultation, if you basically tuned into this episode because it featured Paul Rose, firstly, thank you for checking us out. Thanks. If you want to look at some of the other things we've done, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, RSS feed, a whole bunch of raft of apps, we're out there. We're currently three quarters of the way through season three. Yes, we're covering the Dexter Fletcher years. The George Lazenby of Games Master is currently in our sights. Please feel free to go check it out. And if you don't, thanks for taking the time to listen to us now. You can find us on social media as well. We're at underconsolepod on Twitter. We are at under.console on Instagram. And you can send us an email feedback at underconsultation.com. And links to the RSS feeds and all our various other bits and pieces can be found on our website, underconsultation.com. So we'll be back with our normal schedule next week, which will be episode 17 of the team championships as we uh, rattle on through this. Uh, but we actually recorded episode 17 so long ago, I can't even remember what challenges are on it. I can remember one, and it's for all the wrong reasons. Elf Mania, Luke. Oh, it's the Elf Mania episode, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, so... If you want to hear us talk about Elf Mania in the team championships, uh, please do join us for then. That will be out in seven days' time. Uh, but until then, take care, everyone. Good night. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.